Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. This week, I'm in Mullins, South Carolina, starting off a year-long prophecy study from First Baptist in Mullins, South Carolina. More on that later in the program. I want to thank you for joining with us today, and thank you for trusting us to bring respected broadcast partners to the table that understand what is going on in the world. Today we have Ken Timmerman, David Dolan, Colonel Bob McGinnis, the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung as he finishes up a series on the kingdom. And of course, Rick and I will take a look at the book at the end of the program. Well, let's get started, Rick. We've got so much to cover. I'm very excited about today's program. Let's get started with our first, Ken Timmerman. Well, that's right, Jimmy. I have Ken Timmerman with us. He is our expert on geopolitical affairs. He's an author and an analyst. You can find out more about Ken. Look at the books that he's written. Sign up for his newsletter by going to his website, which is KenTimmerman.com. Ken, thank you for taking the time to join us today. It's always my pleasure to be with you, Rick. Thank you. Well, Ken, we've got all kinds of things to get to today, but we'll start with the United States and the U.K. striking Yemen in a reprisal for the Houthi attacks. Can you tell us what's going on there? Well, I've I've got to say it's about time. You know, there have been over 130 attacks on U.S. uh, positions in the Middle East, many of them by the Houthis. The Houthis have virtually shut down shipping through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. That has uh, extended the shipping times of containers from China to Europe by many, many weeks as they have to go all the way uh, around Africa. Just this past week, Tesla announced that they were closing their factory in Germany for two weeks because they can't get parts from Asia. So this has been a big deal. And since October 17th, when these attacks really picked up from the Houthis, Now, let's be very clear about it, backed by and instigated and ordered by the Iranian regime. Since October 17th, uh, there have been, as I say, over 130 of these attacks, and the U.S. has not responded against the Yemenis. This is the first time, and it's about time. Ken, all kinds of interesting responses from around the world coming in to these attacks. Can you tell us what you see there and how this is going to affect the world on a geopolitical level? Well, first, Rick, there's the predictable responses, the predictable condemnation from Russia and Iran, who now, as we've been saying here, are strategic allies, are strategic partners. So they condemn the United States for doing this. Uh, But what I found a little bit surprising uh, was Erdogan in Turkey, uh, who had up until now been uh, not particularly tender towards the Houthis, and he described the U.S. and U.K. counterstrikes as disproportionate. And I wonder what part of uh, responding once to 130 attacks is disproportionate. Maybe Erdogan can explain that when he explains the behavior of Turkish troops in northern Syria uh, striking against Kurds and Kurdish civilians. But that has been a shift. And so we see Erdogan now going closer, getting closer to the positions of Russia and Iran. I think that's a a, a big deal. Uh, Also on the predictable side, you had the U.S. left Uh, in Congress and on the streets of New York condemning these attacks. And less predictable was John Fetterman, the uh, Democrat senator from Pennsylvania, who uh, has actually been taking uh, some remarkable positions over the past couple of weeks. He was elected as uh, what everybody thought was a reliable spokesperson 
for the left wing of the Democrat Party. In the past couple of weeks, he's come out in favor of Israel. He's uh, been blasting the South Africa genocide case against Israel, which we're going to talk about shortly. Uh, he's also been supporting U.S. strikes. So uh, Fetterman has been a, uh, I should say, a, a bright light here uh, in a sea of darkness. Very interesting, and I would not have assumed that either, but that is what is currently taking place. Well, let's move on, and we'll talk about Iraq. That's an area of particular expertise for you. Uh, I saw in the Jerusalem Post that there was reports of a possible attack on the U.S. Embassy there, but that hasn't been confirmed, and that may not even be something that took place. But there are things taking place in Iraq, and Iraq is essentially... Uh, for various reasons that I'm sure you'll explain to us, trying to kick the United States out of Iraq. The um, the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad gets uh, hit pretty regularly by rockets uh, coming now from predominantly Shiite-controlled areas, areas that are controlled by the Iranian regime. The United States, in addition to these attacks in Yemen, they also launched airstrikes uh, yesterday uh, that killed the leader of an Iranian-backed militia group in Iraq. This was pretty significant, if you ask me. Uh, the guy's name is Mushtaq Jawad Qasim al-Jawari. Uh, he goes by the moniker Abu Taqwa. And what's interesting is that he was involved in planning and carrying out attacks against American personnel throughout Iraq. And there have been dozens of these attacks in the past couple of weeks. So taking him out was really a big deal. It was an even bigger deal, uh, Rick, because his group, this Harakat al-Nujabah militia, Iranian-backed, but they are part of what's called the Popular Mobilization Forces. They were integrated into the Iraqi army during the fight against ISIS. So you had this guy who is now ostensibly part of the Iraqi military forces taken out by the United States. Very big deal. And it got the prime minister of Iraq to say that, well, I'm now going to call for the withdrawal of U.S. forces from Iraq. Well, Ken, as we look at this situation, I just want to get a follow-up question on that Iraq situation. We have not a large force there, but we do have a presence, which helps us to have a presence in the Middle East. Is it important for the United States to have troops in Iraq? Well, we have a, a couple of thousand troops. Most of them are training Iraqis, but they're also carrying out intelligence operations and uh, keeping an eye on things on the ground. And while we do not need to be deployed around the world, you know, we need to be looking after our national security interests. And nevertheless, we certainly need to be keeping an eye on Iran and what the Iranians are doing. And they are heavily, heavily involved in Iraq. We have gone from a victory in 2003, 2004 in Iraq to now having Iraq being controlled by the Islamic State of Iran. This is not a good thing. As I mentioned, Prime Minister Shia al-Sudani, who's backed to the hilt by the Iranians, wants to get the U.S. troops out of Iraq. Uh, by the way, interestingly, the commander of U.S. troops there was meeting with Barzani, the leader of the Kurdish reason up in Erbil uh, just yesterday. And Barzani says, look, no problem. You can leave Iraq. Just come and stay with us up here in Kurdistan. I think that would actually be a very good solution for the U.S. to expand its presence in northern Iraq with the Kurds who want us and who cooperate with us, and to reduce our presence uh, in the rest of Iraq, where we are now facing hostile militias and an increasingly hostile Iranian-backed government. 
Well, Ken, we appreciate your insight into that situation there on Iraq, and we'll keep an eye on that as it continues to move forward. But you alluded earlier to the fact that we are going to talk about this trial that is taking place at the International Court of Justice, The Hague, and South Africa is bringing a case of genocide against Israel for their actions in Gaza. Could you talk a little bit about this? We'll probably talk with Dave about this in the next segment, but could you talk a little bit about this and what this means from a a geopolitical, a worldwide perspective, these things taking place at The Hague? Well, a couple of observations. First, I think the the very notion that a racist regime in South Africa, which is a racist regime, they have been going after white farmers, trying to drive them out, and their human rights record is absolutely abysmal, that they could go to an international institution affiliated with the United Nations and accuse a country like Israel of genocide. Why do we even use the term genocide in our political discourse, Rick? Well, it's because of World War II and the genocide of the Jews in Europe by Hitler. This is an absolute travesty, this case by the South Africans. And I think it shows just how one-sided these international institutions are. They are anti-American, anti-Israel. They overlook completely, turn a blind eye to the behavior of totalitarian regimes in Iran or or dictatorships such as in Syria, as in Russia, or these human rights violators such as in South Africa. So that's the first thing. Uh, The second thing, the Israelis actually have been almost embracing this case because it gives them an international platform, Rick, in which to show Israel's actions in Gaza for what they are. They have been exactly the opposite of disproportionate. You can look uh, close up at some of the photos of destruction that you see in Gaza. And if you look carefully, you'll see that the Israelis hit one building and the building right next to it is intact. And the building two buildings away have has the windows still in place. So the Israelis have been pretty careful uh, in most of their bombings. It has certainly not been indiscriminate. They have sent a very prominent jurist Interestingly, this jurist, 87-year-old Barak, he's a former head of the Supreme Court, an enemy of Bibi Netanyahu, and yet Netanyahu sent him there because he is internationally recognized. Uh, He will make a passionate case for Israel against this. You also had Israel's representative there, Dr. Tal Becker, uh, yesterday talking about the South African efforts to delegitimize the state of Israel in their presentation. He said it was a libel. The whole thing was a libel. Well, we'll have to continue to keep a watch on those trials as that trial, as it continues on it, sir, I appreciate the way you explained it to us. And that it certainly does give us an opportunity to see the world's prejudices. Well, one final question before we have to go, and we only have a minute here, but Taiwan is going to the polls now. And this is a situation where we keep an eye on it because you are looking at things all around the world for us. And we're looking at the Taiwanese elections and how it's going to affect their relationship with China. Can you tell us what's going on there. Well, what the fear always is with Taiwanese elections is Chinese influence. How deeply have the Chinese burrowed into the Taiwanese system? Uh, Will they succeed as they did in Hong Kong in getting pro-communist China leaders elected? Uh, We'll have to see how this one turns out. But the Chinese are always trying to do this. They're trying to subvert democracies around them. And they're trying to subvert our democracy here in the United States. And they would love to see a pro-Beijing 
uh, party win that election. So let's keep our eyes on it and see how it turns out. Well, as always, Ken, we will be relying on you to help us keep track of that situation. You keep us informed. You give us valuable insight. We appreciate that. Thank you so much. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Great job as always, Ken. Fantastic. Well, we got to take a break. And when we come back, David Dolan with our Middle East News Update right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. More than 7.5 million people are on the run after nine months of war in Sudan. Fighting has now reached the country's breadbasket, which also serves as a hub for relief efforts. United Nations Undersecretary Martin Griffith says 25 million people will need help surviving this year. Heavy rains and widespread conflict make it impossible for aid trucks to reach those in need. Meanwhile, genocide continues unchecked. John is a gospel worker focused on Sudan. Trauma is now built to volcanic levels inside Sudan. We have teams from different language groups that are working among their people and trauma healing. There is an openness to the gospel at a level that has not been seen before. Praise Sudanese will find hope in the Lord as they understand his word in their languages. And our next story sounds like the plot of an action movie. Mission Cry's Jason Wolford says the stakes are high. People's lives will be hanging in the balance because of their belief in wanting to get the word to northern China. Communist rules are strictly enforced in northern China, so Bibles are hard to come by. Communist China is worried about what the word of God can do, will do, and is doing. Here's where the action movie plot and your help come into play. We have 15 people coming from the north who have uh, good social scores to be able to travel, willing to risk their life to smuggle these Bibles back to northern China to give the word of God to people who are in desperate need of it. Pray for this mission to be successful. That they would literally be invisible to the police, to those that might be checking Thanks for listening to Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. We're listener supported by people just like you. So by giving to Mission Network News, you enable us to keep the stories of God's kingdom coming. And together, the Great Commission happens. Look for links at missionnews.org. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. Well, this is the segment of our program that we call our Middle East News Update, where we look at news coming out of the Middle East in general, but Israel in particular. And to do that, we have with us Dave Dolan. Dave, thank you for joining us. Blessed to be with you, Rick. Well, Dave, there's a lot going on in Israel, and you have kept us updated throughout this whole process, especially since October 7th, sometimes going on a daily basis to update our listeners on the details of this war and essentially in a micro perspective, letting us know what is going on in detail. I thought today maybe we could take a look at it from a more macro perspective. Uh, We look at what Israel has faced with Hamas. We look at what the attack from the Houthis and then the attack on the Houthis from the United States and the UK. Lots going on in the region, and it deals with one one major player, and that player is Iran. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about that today, the major macro play in the Middle East and what is taking place with Iran, what's their goal, and how is it progressing? Well, Rick, I said uh, last week, I think it was, that it's no longer really even correct to call it the Israel-Hamas war because, of course, we had Hezbollah in the north attacking on a daily basis and still doing that. And we had uh, the Houthis in uh, Yemen uh, trying to hit a lot with missiles, etc. 
Well, really, I think it's time to face this. We are in a war with Iran, and I say we, meaning not just Israel, but uh, the United States, Great Britain, of course, the two powers that struck the Houthi positions on Thursday. Um, Over 60 uh, targets were hit, and the uh, rebel leaders said on Friday that they would continue their attacks, and another missile indeed was fired uh, on Friday. And it's not the Houthis that are doing this. It's Iran. All of the weapons are supplied to them by Iran, and we know that there are Iranian, quote, revolutionary guards Iranian military stationed there in Yemen, and they're the ones directing this. Uh, Iran admitted a week ago that it, well, uh, boasted a week ago that it had sent a warship into the Red Sea to monitor the uh, shipping going on there. We know that most of the 27 attacks that have been launched uh, over the past two months have been aimed at ships not connected in any way to Israel, not heading to Israeli ports, but heading in some cases to Aqaba, to uh, the Jordanian uh, port on the Red Sea, and most of them heading up into the Suez Canal and then to other places, international shipping. Really, Rick, it's not anymore just uh, Israel striking at Hamas. Of course, Hamas began all of this. Iran claimed it knew nothing about it. Hezbollah said they were caught by surprise. I never believed that from the beginning. As the Times of Israel reported in an editorial this week, Israel's been playing poker with Iran for many years now. Well, Iran has been playing chess. They have been carefully and methodically building up to this war. I believe they had a large role in Hamas. We know that uh, most of their weapons have come from Iran. They even discovered, the IDF said, North Korean missiles in the Gaza Strip this past week. Uh, North Korea allied with Iran, allied with Russia, backed by China. This, in my opinion, is a world war. Now, it hasn't gotten to the full point, obviously, of that. If uh, Putin goes into the Baltic states, which seems imminent, some are saying, uh, and if uh, China attacks Taiwan, then we will be in a full war. Well, I lay this all, frankly, at the Biden administration and at the president himself, because when he did this disastrous, ill-thought withdrawal from uh, Afghanistan, in uh, August of 2021, it was the trigger for Putin. A month later, he started building up his forces uh, against Ukraine and launched a war of total aggression, no justification for it, that's still raging two years later. Uh, Taiwan, the Chinese have been increasing their uh, preparations for an assault. North Korea announced it's on a war footing, and uh, South Korea has taken responsive action to that, and Japan has as well. And what did Biden say after that botched withdrawal? That America's longest war is over. Well, what was he talking about? The war against Islamic fundamentalism has ended. We're withdrawing from it. We're out of it. Well, guess what? No, we're not. As I've said so many times, it takes two to make peace. It just takes one party to make war. And I believe that that was the trigger for Iran to prepare this massive assault on Israel that they knew would trigger a massive response 
from Israel that they knew would lead to all sorts of graphic pictures of Palestinian children dying and women dying and all that we've seen on the television, and that that would increase the anger in the entire Muslim world and take them a step closer to ruling the Islamic world, that's uh, 56 nations, they want to be basically the overseer of all of them in the end, and to take the war to the West and to Israel's allies. I believe, frankly, Rick, that we are in a world war here, and the U.S. uh, indecisiveness and the weakness of the president and the Secretary of Defense uh, running the operation in Yemen from his hospital bed, etc. They are salivating our enemies and they are going to keep pressing. And now so far we still haven't had Hezbollah fully engage in this. And I believe that they are reluctant because they know that Israel can pummel them. But I believe Iran will push them to do so. And Israel is going to be hard pressed, especially if its main allies are also involved in conflict as we are, it was right to strike the Houthis. They have been uh, brazenly attacking shipping. They have no reason to do that. They're a thousand miles south of Israel. They had no prior connections to uh, Hamas, frankly, Rick. They are uh, Shiites. They're not Sunnis like the Palestinians. But this was the opportunity that Iran saw to get as many parties involved in this war against the Jewish state in an attempt to destroy it and ultimately to destroy the great Satan as well. Uh, I believe we need to wake up and smell the roses here because it's a very, very serious situation we're in. But of course, God's on the throne, and we have to keep that in mind. And we know that the last days will be birth pangs of the messianic age, and they're coming quicker, they're coming stronger. And I think this year we're going to see a lot more action. Well, David, this situation has obvious prophetic implications when we talk about Ezekiel 38, and it looks like the current administration, the government, the way that we are dealing with Iran right now is certainly playing into the hands with respect to that manipulation, that chess game that you talked about that Iran is playing with us here in the Middle East, isn't it? Well, we are, and really, frankly, Israel did as well, although they obviously had to respond to such a horrific attack, horrific mass slaughter. But the fact that that took place at all, with the IDF being one of the strongest military forces on earth, even though Israel's a country of less than 10 million people, they were asleep at the wheel. They were engaged in political intrigues and infighting like we've never seen last year inside of Israel. We had former prime ministers calling for the overthrow of the government, uh, threat to democracy, etc. And what have we had in America? We've had the same sort of thing, internal fighting, internal bickering, racism, the Democrats charge everybody with being racist all the time. We've had uh, our cities uh, filled with crime and just, you know, 7 million people. Uh, most of them young men coming over the southern border, and a lot of them totally unvetted. We don't know who they are, but we can assume that they've been planning this for some time, they being our enemies. And Russia, again, we've got to remember that they were pretty pro-Israel until uh, this war in Ukraine. And when the uh, Israelis wouldn't back Putin in that, he became angry and started to make threatening noises, and he's continued that. And, of course, he considers himself at war with NATO and with the United States in principle. And uh, China, again, they have their agenda. You show these people weakness, you show them discord internally, 
You give them opportunities to think they can prevail and they're going to go at it. Now, of course, as you said, these alliances are predicted, prophesied for millennia in the Bible, and it is going to take place. And the outcome of that ultimately is the Lord's return and ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. So that's the silver lining. But it is sad to see us so easily, it seems, falling into line here. And frankly, Rick, I think the future uh, of America is really at stake here because they do smell great weakness, our enemies. They see deep divisions like never before, and uh, that's tempting them to take actions maybe sooner than later. Uh, Again, it's all in God's hands. The timing's in his hands, so we've got to recall that at all times. But boy, uh, do we need to be alert and in prayer now because it's uh, very, very serious days are upon us. I certainly agree with you, and I could not have said it better. To be alert and to be in prayer, that's what we need to do. And we need to recognize the signs of the times, recognize where we are and where we likely are in God's timeline of events, and that is very close to the beginning of that end-time scenario taking place and beginning. Well, David, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today, as always, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, Rick, and God bless, and keep looking up. Well, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, we'll have Colonel Bob McGinnis with us. That's all right ahead, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. As I said at the outset of the program, I'm in Mullins, South Carolina at First Baptist Church in Mullins, South Carolina with Pastor Robbie Baxley. Robbie, welcome to the program today. Well, good evening, Jimmy, and uh, we welcome you to the great state of South Carolina. We are just so grateful to have you here in the Palmetto State and just thankful that the Lord has brought you here safely, and uh, we are looking forward to a wonderful prophecy conference with you this weekend. And Man, uh, people are excited about you coming. Well, I'm so glad to be here. I know my father was here years ago, and uh, when you called me, Brother Baxley, you said that uh, one of the things that you wanted to do is you're going to be teaching through prophecy in the next couple of months, and you wanted to kick it off. I want to ask you, what was your thought process in in wanting to do this? Brother Jimmy, to be honest with you, you know, our people, we, we just try to stay on top of current events and things going on. You know, with, with the world today, uh, with social media at all-time high, you know, everybody has a 
cell phone or smart device in their hands. Of course, folks uh, listen to podcasts, you know, you got CNN, Fox News, whatever flavor you like. But, you know, the world like never before, uh, Christians and even non-Christians alike, no doubt, see all kind of conflict going on. And it's definitely, I think, what really just pushed us over to really consider doing this is when we started to see the conflict there with Israel and Hamas and the Palestinian warfare going on. And, you know, it just began to to start up conversation. Uh, Our people are very interested in prophecy and very interested in uh, biblical events that have uh, taken place already that a lot of us are experiencing here in the 21st century. And you know, I think uh, obviously if we looked all the way back to 9-11 and then probably fast forward all the way now up to a, a pandemic that had the whole world in a stir and now uh, more conflict going on, I think that's just just kind of just putting things uh, on layer after layer after layer has just finally got us to a point where, you know, we were ready uh, to have you guys back again. Uh, like you said, enjoyed Jimmy Singer and uh, did an outstanding job and that just kind of just wet the appetite, and, and now with current events, we're just more than ready to, to dive in and just, just find out more what is really going on. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we're going to uh, start off with why study Bible prophecy, and then how can we understand Bible prophecy? You know, Brother Baxley, today, uh, many churches are not teaching Bible prophecy. They're not teaching one-third of God's Word out of the 1,180 chapters of the Bible. One-third of those contain Bible prophecy. Why do you think pastors are not teaching Bible prophecy today? Jimmy, I just really feel in my heart that a lot of guys are just, for whatever reason, just not comfortable with eschatology or anything to do with prophecy. I think uh, probably a lot of guys just don't spend a lot of time in seminary in those areas. And uh, when they get out of seminary, or even if you have a bivocational pastor or not, I think uh, just the amount of time of uh, working and studying, because we understand Revelation, tremendous amount of, of analogies, a tremendous amount of, of different things that different things stand for and making all those connections. And I, I think sometimes people just get a little... Uh, bogged down. They just call it a mystery, and we'll just all figure this out in the end. And and, and we've heard that kind of response most of our life. But, uh, you know, our church is committed to God's infallible, inerrant word from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22. So we preach the entire Bible. And as you just said and alluded to, why would we ever leave out such a large portion of what God has left us? Not to be ignorant, but to be informed about what is going on and what will take place. Well, I'm so looking forward to it. Again, we're in Mullins, South Carolina. Pastor Robbie Baxley, thank you for inviting us to be here with you and looking forward to being with your fine folks. Well, thank you again, Jimmy, and just just grateful that you would come and carve out some time in your busy schedule. And We're just excited and been praying and looking forward to how God's just really going to move throughout this conference. So, Just pray that you have a a restful night and uh, get ready because we're ready for you. (laughs) Praise the Lord, brother. Thank you so much. All right. You have a blessed one. Again, this weekend, we're in Mullins, South Carolina. I would love to have you come and join with us at First Baptist Church in Mullins. 
On the program today, we're having back Colonel Bob McGinnis, Rick. And uh, Colonel McGinnis has uh, had a great career. He's worked in the Pentagon. He continues to advise in so many different areas. And I'm uh, looking forward to having Colonel McGinnis on, the first time in 2024, Colonel Bob McGinnis. Well, that's right, Jimmy. I have retired Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis with us. He's a good friend of the program, a regular contributor to cable news network programs such as Fox News and Fox Business. We are certainly glad to have him on our program today. Colonel McGinnis, thank you for joining us. Oh, my, my pleasure, Rick. Well, we have a lot to get to, and so I'd like to go through a few items for you. But we'll start with it seems to be the hot-button issue, and this is the situation in the Red Sea. Houthis from Yemen, can you tell us, from your perspective, what is the danger that we're facing here? Well, the Houthis have been in charge of uh, that country for some time. They've engaged in a civil war, of course, with the Saudis and some other neighbors. Uh, And they've had sort of a ceasefire for the last year. Now, the problem is, of course, the Houthis are a proxy of Iran, and that's where all their ballistic missiles and their drones and all that which they've been using against uh, international uh, maritime traffic, you know, that's going through the strait there up through the Red Sea. And, and of course, uh, after the attack uh, on Israel by Hamas on October the 7th, the Houthis, you know, just clamored to the opportunity to add more pain to the nation of Israel by uh, saying that they were going to uh, attack any vessel headed for Israel uh, that was going through uh, their maritime area. And so that's precisely what they've been doing. Uh, And I have no doubt that, you know, the mullahs, the Ayatollah in Tehran is calling the shots. And unfortunately, uh, we haven't taken, I don't think, uh, enough uh, countermeasures. We've shot down drones and missiles, uh, which is fine, but uh, unless you go after the perpetrators of this, and arguably that's Iran, uh, but also after the launch sites, then you're not going to stop this. It's still, this will continue, and you know, there'll be an economic impact on the world because you know all those vessels are being diverted around the, the Horn of Africa, and, and then of course uh, the whole issue of Iran is trying to ramp up, I think, a regional war, and they're trying to dictate uh, the terms uh, in which they would back down, and that would, of course, be all favorable to them. Well, of course, their stated intention is to try to help Hamas and to hurt Israel in a way, but disrupting this important shipping lane, that's something that could disrupt the entire world, making this unsafe. Well, let's move on from that situation, and we'll talk about Israel. And you're a frequent guest on Fox News, Fox Business. I see you on there all the time. And not long after the attacks on October 7th, you uh, made a statement on there that you said that we need to make sure that Israel destroys Hamas. From your perspective, as we look at this situation, how is Israel, how are they proceeding? Do you feel like they are going to be the be able to reach the objectives, the goals that they need to reach in order to provide security, in order to make sure that this doesn't happen again as it pertains to Hamas and in Gaza? Yeah, fair question. That's A lot depends upon, well, First, the geopolitical situation. I know uh, Netanyahu is under a lot of pressure in his own uh, political situation there in Israel, and his government uh, is arguably, you know, suffering some instability. And then, of course, they're getting pressure from the outside, from the Biden administration 
and from others uh, throughout the region and throughout the world. Uh, so I would hope that the IDF, Israeli Defense Force, does not call off the campaign against Hamas, even though they broke, you know, reduced the number of soldiers that are now employed because they uh, deactivated a number of reserve uh, brigades, regiments. Uh, but it's a transition into a different type of battle, uh, an insurgency of sorts, counterinsurgency, and then, of course, uh, targeted uh, Hamas uh, locations and leadership uh, through their special operations forces. So it's a transition period. You know, the, the hope is that they will destroy Hamas. You know, the problem, of course, is not only is the senior leadership of Hamas sitting uh, comfortably in along the Persian Gulf uh, and elsewhere, uh, but they have a psychological arm. Uh, even here in the United States, it's arguing that uh, Hamas is a legitimate entity and that, you know, the West should not support Israel in its campaign against Hamas. Now, will that prevail? Don't know. Uh, it should not, but, you know, psychological manipulation, which they're good at, uh, is having its impact. We've seen it on the streets of America. And so we'll have to wait and see uh, if Israel is, you know, truly decisively destroying Hamas, which they, I think, must do. Otherwise, they do return. Well, as you mentioned, the situation uh, in Hamas, they are transitioning. I mean, we'll hope that they are allowed to reach their goals, as you stated, but they are certainly transitioning. But there are other enemies, mainly Hezbollah in the north, which is another Iranian-backed proxy. So when we're talking about these proxies, we have to also include Iran. What's next after Hamas for Israel, certainly as it pertains to Hezbollah and possibly even something directly with Iran? Well, Hezbollah, of course, uh, has allowed uh, Islamic Jihad and Hamas and others to use its territory in the southern part of Lebanon uh, to launch uh, you know, a number of ballistic missiles as well as uh, anti-tank rockets and the like. Uh, I would argue that, of course, the Israelis have responded in, a, in like manner. Um, that is a potentially explosive area. Uh, now, the fact that they have an attack uh, in a large manner thus far and therefore earned you know, Israel's retaliation in a, in a large manner uh, is indicative that Tehran is holding its options open, and that's being one of them. Now, meanwhile, of course, the Israelis have struck uh, resupply routes in Syria, uh, especially airport resupply routes that would go through the Becca Valley into southern Lebanon uh, to you know, assist the uh, various entities, mostly Hezbollah, but there are some Islamic Jihad people there. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see if that develops. Now, Iran is really on making a, a series of calculations here, and that is that the U.S. isn't going to be, become directly involved more than we already are by supplying Israel, and that Israel will not expand its operations beyond uh, the Gaza Strip, uh, much less, you know, directly against Iran. Now, th that's that's a real dicey calculation on the part of uh, the Iranians. Uh, you know, they've already struck American forces 130 times. You know, they, they create a chaos in the Red Sea, and then of course what's going on in, in Gaza. We know there's 
you know, various elements all over the world that you know, could spawn you know, terrorist attacks and, of course, the, the psychological ops that I described moments ago. All of this is part of a potentially uh, explosive larger uh, Middle East war. And in the background of this, you have the Russians and the Chinese that are directly involved uh, with the Iranians as a supplier and as an encourager. Uh, and it's something that, you know, because, you know, I, I know you're concerned and rightly so about whether or not this is a, you know, indi indication of a prophetic development here. I don't know yet. Um, it certainly could be, given what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. And the Chinese are the ones that are fueling much of this because they buy all the oil uh, that Iran sells. And it's because we've lifted sanctions. And if you listen to former President Trump, he rightly said that we sanctioned Iran to the point that they couldn't supply their proxies. So arguably, the wars that we are seeing today uh, had President Trump stayed in power, I think uh, we would not have seen. Uh, and that's uh, based upon you know, a host of issues. But uh, I'm very concerned that uh, the current American administration uh, is not really dealing with this as decisively as they must. Well, I certainly agree with you, and these are concerning issues. I'm going to ask you a little bit more to expound on that, uh, the prophetic portion, in just a second. But before I do, I want to touch on a couple other issues. You mentioned Russia. Of course, they are still fighting their own war with Ukraine. And it, it certainly seems like the tide may have changed, and it looks like Russia is now winning the war. Can you tell us, is that the case? And how is this war going to end? Well, yeah. If I knew how it was going to end, I'd be in pretty good shape. I'm not sure I can give you that answer. Uh, I can tell you that the Ukrainians are, are quite determined. Uh, the West, of course, I think is waffling to a bit uh, regarding you know, the continuing supply of arms and other aid to the Ukrainians to sustain the fight. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, the, this war was absolutely unnecessary. If we had done the right deterrence early on, and I argued this on Fox News in writing as well as uh, in broadcast. Uh, but, you know, the Biden people just didn't understand what they were dealing with, with Putin and the likes. So, you know, the war started. Now, yeah, the problem is, is, is getting it to end. Uh, Ukrainians, of course, Zelensky says he's not going to give up the four regions, provinces uh, in the east to include uh, Crimea. And I can understand that. Um, so if you take that off the table, then you don't give you know, Vladimir Putin any opportunity to compromise. And I don't think he's in the mood to compromise. But you know, he is—he—he he seems to be on a on a on a um, path to re-election, which surprises, I think, a lot in the West. But we have to understand uh, the Russian mindset, and they've really nationalized this war to make it look as if uh, the West against Russia and then Putin is trying to keep Ukraine, the breadbasket of the former Soviet Union, from becoming part of NATO and the Western clique. So all of these issues are intermixed. Whether or not Russia will continue the war, it would look like. Uh, whether or not Ukraine can, I think it, a lot depends upon the West's willingness to keep funding it. Um, but I don't see a near-term quick resolution. I know there are meetings 
there have been and there are going to continue meetings next week uh, on trying to find a negotiated solution, but the key players aren't going to be there. You know, specifically Russians, some of the Chinese, and probably the Americans will be there, but, you know, this is much about talk and it's not going to move us toward a peaceful solution anytime soon. And so what's going on in the Middle East, what's going on in Ukraine, and what could go on in the not-so-distant future in East Asia, especially with regard to Taiwan and more broadly uh, Japan, the Koreas, uh, Philippines, Southeast Asia, and the like, uh, I think we need to recognize that we're in a time of great volatility in the world uh, and that the powers that be in these totalitarian governments are willing to do whatever necessary to expand their horizon, and especially they do sense a weakness in the West with regard to the American administration and uh, some weakness in the coalition, our willingness to sustain the fight in Ukraine, uh, some questions about our you know, being decisive against Iran and so forth. Well, then that begs the question, as we continue to look forward, and these certainly are perilous times, and we need to continue to pray for our country, pray for our leaders, pray for the leaders of these nations as we continue to move forward. But as we look at this, 2024, just this new year, is certainly going to be dominated by the upcoming presidential election. If you could, you've alluded to it a few times already, but there's a lot at stake in this election. Could you give us your take on the upcoming presidential election and what we should be looking for? Well, certainly Mr. Biden's situation, I think that you know, he's demonstrated an ineptitude with regard to international relations. Like Bob Gates, the former Secretary of Defense and CIA leader, said that Biden hasn't gotten anything right in the last half century, especially in foreign relations. And, you know, we saw the debacle in Afghanistan. I believe that the war in Ukraine could have been prevented had Biden done the right things. Uh, you see our relationship with China dwindling, and you see that, you know, the Abraham Accords that were put in place by Trump uh, have basically, you know, been wiped away and replaced by uh, regional turmoil throughout the Middle East. And, and this is true elsewhere across the world. These, these people are just not terribly competent, in my opinion. Now, and here recently, of course, everybody's known about or heard about uh, Lloyd Austin and his you know, failure to notify second in chain of command. Uh, I don't think a lot of people understand how serious that is because uh, he's vested with the authority to defend the United States and any vacancy of time and you know, that command, uh, whether it's because he's in the ICU or under operation, you know, jeopardizes uh, this country. He was in the direct chain of command of the entire military, and decisions need to be made, and especially the nuclear forces. So these are these are tenuous situations that we must you know, account and attribute to the Biden administration and their rank failure uh, to represent the United States' you know, interest uh, against our many and growing enemies across the world. So, you know, I'm obviously not in favor of, you know, allowing Mr. Biden and his, you know, what I would call an evil administration to continue to rule and to run this country. I much prefer, you know, either to return to President Trump, uh, and if for some reason he can't, you know, I, I would you know, look at a couple other candidates. But, you know, we need you know, to really stand up 
and remove these people who you know, are rank incompetence when it comes to national security. Well, Colonel Bob McGinnis, we appreciate you being on the program. For those that would like to find out more about Colonel Bob McGinnis, I talked to him earlier before we came on the air. He does not have a website. He's on Fox News all the time. You could sometimes see him there. He said the best way to find out about him, just Google Colonel Bob McGinnis. So you could take a look at that. You could see some of his appearances. If you go to wherever you get your books, whether that be Amazon or wherever else, put his name in, Colonel Bob McGinnis. You'll see all the books he has. And they are dealing with geopolitical events, these things taking place around the world. And then he looks at it from a biblical and prophetic perspective. And that's what we appreciate uh, about Colonel McGinnis so much. And that's why we have him on this program. Before I let you go, Colonel McGinnis, as we look at all of these events taking Taking place around the world, and again, you said, "Is this alliance with Russia and Iran? Is this what the Bible says? Is are what we seeing taking place now? Is that what the Bible says is going to happen?" Well, we don't know for sure, but it sure kind of looks like it. So, as we look at these events and these things that are taking place around the world, and we combine that with our knowledge of prophecy, can you tell us, as a Christian, how should it make us act, and as a non-believer, what should it cause us to do? Well, it should cause us to pray and to be humbled the fact that the world seems to be rushing toward uh, an end-time scenario. Now, certainly in 2018, I wrote the book Alliance of Evil, which brought Russia and China together. And I don't think anybody today is arguing that they aren't collaborating as a a, a pseudo-alliance of sorts. Uh, I think that, you know, certainly what's happening in the Middle East and the influence of China and Russia is, is very significant. I think that uh, the people in the Kremlin, you know, certainly Vladimir Putin, uh, they have every intention of expanding the, the former Russian empire. Um, President Xi of China has every ambition to, and he's demonstrated a willingness to expand globally, uh, not only because he's you know, ramping up his military in ways that we've never seen before. Um, but he's also using his financial leverage. Now, they have issues in that country, but you know, given our weakness and given uh, their alliance and their growing you know, strength and to a certain degree their economic prowess, which they do have, not Russia but China more so, uh, these are issues I think that, you know, certainly you, know, you could – argue uh, are reflective of some of the indicators we see in Ezekiel. We certainly see in Revelation. Uh, I've written about this in many of my books as to how do you piece together today's, you know, confusing geopolitical situations with biblical prophecy. And I think there's a a very clear nexus. Now, I'm I'm not so bold as to declare a day or a date uh, or that this is the final time. Uh, but I would argue that um, these are times that are uh, certainly precarious, and we need to be looking up as we consider uh, what's happening all about us. We certainly do. Colonel Bob McGinnis, as always, we appreciate your insight, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Rick. Have a great day. Excellent, excellent. Colonel Bob McGinnis, and uh, giving us his analysis. And if you if you understand and you're listening carefully, 
Ken Timmerman, David Dolan, Colonel Bob McGinnis, they're focusing, uh, but all coming from a different perspective, focusing on the nations of Bible prophecy. And we always refer to Ezekiel 38. As a matter of fact, Ezekiel 38, 18, and it shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. That's Ezekiel 38, 18. This passage is a foretelling passage of a military action that will happen in the Middle East in the first three months of the coming tribulation period, the seven years of judgment on the earth in the future. The battle of Gog and Magog is what the prophet is discussing with us in this passage. It's an alignment of nations that will come to Israel to destroy the Jewish state. In this passage, we not only see the who and the when, but we also see the what. That which happens during the coming seven-year period of judgment known as the tribulation. In verse 2, Magog is modern-day Russia, Meshach and Tubal, along with Gomer and Tagarma. In verse 6 is present-day Turkey, Persia. In verse 5 is Iran, Afghanistan and Pakistan, the other two names. Ethiopia and Libya are also nations that will join the alignment to attack Israel. And I believe with Ethiopia... That would be Somalia, Sudan, and uh, those are that's Cush, and maybe in your Bible, and that would include Yemen. <laughs> the Houthis are all playing a part. These nations make up the who in this passage. The when is revealed to us in two verses, verses eight and eleven. These verses speak of the time when the Jewish people come back into the land in the last days and are dwelling safely in the land. They also will be living in unwalled villages. Both terms are referring to a time when there is peace in the land. It will not be a time when Jesus has brought peace, but a time of pseudo-peace, one that will be short-lived. This peace comes when the Antichrist has established a peace in the land, which is in the very beginning of the tribulation period. The what is the unfolding of the war to destroy the Jewish people and take the land that God has given the Jews As these nations attack Israel, God intercedes in verses 18 to 23. Couple this with verses found in Ezekiel 39, verses 1 to 6, and you come to an understanding that the Lord protects his chosen people. Well, great, great thoughts today on the program, and uh, thank you, Colonel Bob McGinnis. We've got to take a break, and when we come back, the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And I am in Mullins, South Carolina this week at a prophecy conference, getting ready to kick it off with Pastor Robbie Baxley and his church there in Mullins. Rick, a lot of people are asking, when are we going to head back to Israel? Well, Jimmy, we have certainly been praying for Israel. We had many tours scheduled, but we've postponed most of them. But let me tell you, we only postponed them. We didn't cancel them. We believe that showing support for Israel is important. We also believe it's the greatest place in the world, the greatest classroom to teach Bible prophecy. So we're going to be planning on going back soon. Stay tuned to this radio program. Stay tuned to our website. Maybe even this year, if things get to a point where we feel we can conduct a tour, we're going to do it. So it's still a part of our mission. It's still something that we want to do, and we'll let you know as soon as we're ready to go back. 
Yes, and I know a lot of people want to show their support for Israel in a lot of different ways and by going to the land of Israel, that that great classroom to teach God's Word. Well, Rick, on our Legacy Series today, we're going to conclude our study on the kingdom, that thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ from a temple on the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem. Remember, this kingdom is not now in place. Jesus is not seated on his throne. That throne will be on the earth after the Lord returns following the seven-year tribulation. Then God the Father gives Jesus the Son his kingdom. That's found in Daniel chapter 7. And that's where we will begin our study today, Daniel chapter 7. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. Go to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, a part of the process of the kingdom being set up, the ancient of days, Daniel chapter 7, this is an appearance to Daniel the prophet. He writes down what is going to happen, the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like unto the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. Now, the Ancient of Days is one of the names in Daniel used for God the Father, the Son of Man, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the favorite term for Jesus the Son. Now, notice what it says, verse 14. And there was given unto him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. I told you, it's not only a thousand years, it's into eternity future, an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, that which shall be not destroyed, it's forever. A kingdom is set up. This is the beginning of the reign of Jesus Christ. This was God's plan from the very outset. He put everything in place for that to happen. Do you not remember the pattern? Adam and Eve were to rule the first kingdom that Jesus set up. Isn't that interesting? At the rapture of the church, we get married to Jesus Christ. The first kingdom had the first Adam and his wife rule over it. The eternal kingdom will have the last Adam and his wife rule over it. Because I am the bride, you we that know Christ the Savior, the bride of Christ, we're married to Jesus Christ. Chapter 19 of Revelation, verses 7, 8, and 9. We're married to Christ, and then we go into the kingdom to rule and reign like that first kingdom which was set up. We rule and reign with him. By the way, that first kingdom, what well, was the place of its headquarters? Garden of Eden. And so thus, to be consistent... This kingdom will be ruled and reigned over from the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden? I thought the Garden of Eden was over in Iraq between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. No, oh, who said the Garden of Eden was over in Iraq between the Tigris and the Euphrates River? Go back to Genesis. Let me show you where the Garden of Eden is. Modern day Iraq, the location for Babylon, that kingdom that's going to be destroyed, that Antichrist rules over in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. Jesus is going to destroy it in one hour. That's certainly not the place where he's going to set up his headquarters. That's a hellhole. He's going to rule and reign from the Garden of Eden like he established the kingdom in the beginning with the first Adam and his wife, Eve. The last Adam and his wife, the church, will rule and reign. The pattern was set and the place was set in the Garden of Eden. 
Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden is the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem. It's always been, always will be. Where do you get that from, Dion? Well, for 5,772 years, the Jewish people have believed it. It's this 5772 in the Jewish calendar. You know what their New Year's Day is? Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah in Hebrew. Rush, chief, shana, year. First of the year. And what do they do on Rosh Hashanah? They take up their shofars or their trumpets. They go to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem and they blow a solemn assembly. That's Matthew 24. Remember I said when he comes back, the trumpet is sounded there in Jerusalem, calling a solemn assembly. Why to Jerusalem? Why do they blow the trumpets? Because they're in celebration of the new year. Year one, they went and started honoring the Lord at the Garden of Eden. Oh, it was shut up so Adam and Eve couldn't get into it. You know that dome of the rock underneath it is called the foundation stone. Foundation of what? It's the location where God created Adam and Eve. Just go ask any Jewish scholar. We Christians are Johnny come lately. I don't know where in the world we got the ideas over there in the rock, the hell hole of the world, the hell hole of the future. You know what? Let me tell you something. Not only the Jews, but the Muslims. I had an appointment to do a television interview with Sheikh Sabri. He is the Mufti of Jerusalem, highest ranking Muslim cleric controlling the Temple Mount. His statement had been there had never been a Jew on the Temple Mount. There was never a presence of a Jew on the Temple Mount. I went over to talk to him because I knew what the Word of God said. That Temple Mount is Mount Moriah. That's where Abraham offered Isaac. Man, that was, those were two Jewish boys. And then I remembered that King David purchased the threshing floor from Ornan the Jebusite at that same spot. And then his son Solomon built a temple there. Those were all Jewish people. And those Jews that went up to worship at that temple, they were up on the Temple Mount. And then Zerubbabel brought 50,000 Jews back after the Babylonian captivity. The first temple had been destroyed. And they built a second temple. Those were all Jews. And in fact, my Savior Jesus Christ was a Jew. And he was always on that Temple Mount. I walked into Sheikh Sabri and man, I was going to jump right in his face. And I looked up and saw his bodyguard, 6'6", 250 apiece. I changed my mind that wasn't the proper timing. But I also became aware of the fact that, you know what he said? He said, look, Jimmy, there's never been a Jew on a Temple Mount. He said that temple, he didn't call it the Temple Mount, calls it Al-Aqsa. He said Al-Aqsa, listen to what he said. Al-Aqsa dates back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. Why do you think the Muslim Caliphate? When the Mahdi, the Muslim Messiah comes, is going to be set up in Jerusalem. Forget Mecca and Medina. They're coming to Jerusalem to set up the worldwide kingdom because they know it's the Garden of Eden. Have you got chapter 2 of the book of Genesis? Look there. Chapter 2. Everybody wants to tell me about the fact that indeed the Garden of Eden is over there between the Tigris and the Euphrates. I want you to know, I don't think the Tigris and Euphrates were very near the Garden of Eden. Look what it says. You got your Bible? Look at chapter 2. God puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, okay? Puts, the trees are already in there. Now look at what it says in verse 10. And a river went out of Eden. That's one river. One river went out of Eden. 
and outside from thence it was parted and became four heads. The Tigris, Euphrates, the Pishon, and the Gihon. And so someplace outside the Garden of Eden, it wasn't in the Garden of Eden because there was only one river there. Outside the Garden of Eden, there became four rivers, Pishon, Gihon, Tigris, Euphrates. Doesn't say how far they were outside of the Garden of Eden. In fact, I don't know how far outside they were. And I would suggest you don't know how far outside they were either. Because 1,500 years after the Garden of Eden was established, there was a worldwide flood and the topography of the earth was totally changed. The Tigris and the Euphrates could have been very close. They weren't in the Garden of Eden, but they could have been close. I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. We don't know what it was like. But we do know. Listen, we do know. There was one of those rivers in the garden, which is still in Jerusalem, the Gihon River. Just check out 1 Kings chapter 1 sometime. David's on his deathbed. He's going to anoint Solomon as the next king of Israel. What does he do? He said, oh, my other son's trying to usurp that leadership role. He turned to his wife, go get the servant. Tell the servant to go down, listen, to the Gihon and get me a pitcher of water. And I'm going to anoint King Solomon. I've got a video I'll tell you about where the archaeologist, the chief archaeologist of the city of Jerusalem, reveals the story. We go down to the Gihon. Do you know the Gihon River flowed into the Pool of Siloam? You know what the Pool of Siloam is? That's that location when Jesus put the mud in the blind man's eyes, said, go there, wash it out, you'll be able to see. It was a holy water. The Gihon feeds that Pool of Siloam. This archaeologist has a son who's a Navy SEAL. When they were doing the archaeological dig, it's the most extensive dig in all of the world of the beginnings of the city of Jerusalem. His son got down in the Pool of Siloam. They swam up the Gihon River. They swam all the way up underneath the Dome of the Rock. And there, gushing out of the ground, the headwaters for the Gihon. That one river. The word Gihon is used six times in the scripture. That's that river in the Garden of Eden. The pattern is God is consistent. He will do what he did in the beginning to establish his eternal kingdom in the Garden of Eden. What does he say in Psalm 132 verses 13 and 14? I have selected Jerusalem to dwell among my people forever. What does he say in Zechariah 1.16? I will return to Jerusalem. I will build my temple because this is my city. That's the Garden of Eden. That's why the controversy. There will be a temple there. But let me close with this. Before that temple and that kingdom is set up, Satan again endeavors in this seven-year period of time to take over rule of the world. Once... Satan becomes the power. He allows the Jewish people to build a temple here in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. And what does he do? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4. He walks into that temple and sets himself up above God. Because Satan, who energizes the Antichrist, said, I will be worshipped in Jerusalem, the Garden of Eden. How close is that temple? 28,000 priests are now studying the priestly duties. Every implement has been made and is in storage. Recently, they completed the construction of the seven-branch 
candelabra, the menorah, they have made 4,000 harps. King David said, I want 4,000 harpists to play when the temple is up and operating. Micah and Shoshana Harari, he has made 4,000 harps. I just met with him the other day. He says, when the Messiah comes, we'll turn all of this work over to him. I heard that the Sanhedrin had been reformed. The 70 wise Jewish scholars who operate the temple. I walked into the yeshiva, which is the headquarters for teaching all these priests to do the priestly duties. The rabbi's name is Nachman Kahana. I said, Rabbi Kahana, I hear the Sanhedrin has been reformed. He said, that is correct. I said, well, how do you know that? He said, because I'm the president of the Sanhedrin. And I said, well, I heard that the priestly garments have been made. Is that correct? He said, Jimmy, my garment is hanging in my closet now, waiting for me to put it on and report to the Temple Mount to start operation. My friends, there will be a kingdom. Jesus Christ will rule and reign from that kingdom. It is not now, it will be. It's an earthly kingdom. But before that, Satan is going to try one more time. He's going to let the Jews build a temple. He's going to send the Antichrist to walk in the temple and claim to be God. That temple is ready to be rebuilt right now. Indeed, the Tribulation Temple is ready to be rebuilt right now. All preparations have been made. There's only one reason that they have not started construction on the next temple. The rapture must happen first, and then the Jews will build their next temple. Next week on the broadcast, we'll begin a brand new study on Islam and the last days. This is one of my most important studies ever. Please join us next week. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. I'm Liz Kramer with Mission Network News. Belarus's new religion law is facing international criticism for stricter registration requirements and harsh fines for illegal religious activity. But Slavic Gospel Association's Eric Mock says Belarusian pastors have a unique perspective. They faced ministry challenges like this before, and even worse during the days of communism. Yet pastors in Belarus are committed to respecting the government and advancing the gospel in whatever circumstance. Pray for both wisdom and faithfulness. And the kids may be tired of their Christmas toys by now, but the impact of Triumph and Mercy Lebanon's Christmas outreach is still bearing fruit. The staff spent several days bringing Christmas joy to those in need. Friendships grow with every follow-up meeting, and conversations aren't always easy, and believers don't have all the answers. However, they do know the one who can solve every problem. Pray for spiritual fruit. 
Thanks for listening to Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, uh, today on the program, you know, you have a a knack for, and and really you have that knack because of Bible prophecy, but when you talk to Ken Timmerman and David Dolan, Colonel Bob McGinnis, we focus on current events, but, you know, each one of those men have their own point of view on how they look at it, and really it helps round out the times in which we're living. It does, Jimmy, and you see there was a little bit of overlap as we talked about these stories with these gentlemen, but they were giving us a full, complete picture, and that's what we're trying to do for our listeners is give you a picture of what is taking place in the world, both in the Middle East and Europe, and we do that with the backdrop, and all of these men had that backdrop of of knowing what is going to happen in the future, and so then we can focus on what's happening right now and see how it is setting the stage for that future scenario to be fulfilled. You know, I liked what uh, Pastor Baxley said. It's all laid out in Scripture there. Churches today, people want to know. I mean, you watch current events. You have a worldview. You're watching what's taking place. How does this fit into the timeline? And when we look at Bible prophecy, we know that future events, there's no prophecies to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church. Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 introduces a section of the scripture that details things which must be hereafter. What follows are prophecies of the end times. We have not yet reached the tribulation. We're not in it. I mean, we can't even begin to understand what's going to take place in the future. The revelation of the Antichrist, not on the scene yet. I mean, those are things that we're focused on. And other end time events, what we do see is a preparation for those events. We do, and our study of Bible prophecy lets us know that Jesus said in the last days they would be preceded by several things. Many false Christs will come, deceiving many. We would hear of wars and rumors of wars. We're certainly hearing of that now. There'd be an increase in famine and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. That's Matthew 24, 5 through 8. So today's news is also full of false religions, warfare, natural disasters. We know the events of the tribulation period will include all this that Jesus predicted, Revelation 6, 1 through 8. These current events certainly are setting the stage. They're a buildup for this greater trouble that is ahead. Paul warned, the Apostle Paul, he warned that the last days would bring a marked increase in false teaching. In latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the last days are described as perilous times because of the increasingly evil character of man and because of the people who actively oppose the truth. That's what he said in 2 Timothy. And Rick, you know, as we see the things that are taking place today, We do see that people are becoming lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, uh, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, having a form of godliness but denying its power. That seems to fit our modern age in which we're living in. 
It does now more than ever, it seems. We see more evidence of that every day. And we didn't talk about it much on this program, but we have talked about it with our broadcast partners before. The Bible has become subordinate to the modern church's quest for a more appealing truth. These are indeed perilous times spiritually. Yes, they are all the way around. False teachers, wars, everything. And then we look at the formation of the European Union. In the light of biblical prophecy, the ten toes of Daniel chapter 2 and the ten-horned beast of Daniel chapter 7, Revelation 13, are references to a revived Roman Empire, which will hold power before Christ returns. Although the precise political structure, Rick, has yet to be formed, the pieces can be seen as falling into place. And on top of all that, we look at Israel. In 1948, Israel was recognized as a sovereign state. And this, too, has ramifications for the student of Bible prophecy. God promised Abram that he would have Canaan as an everlasting possession. That's Genesis 17:8. And Ezekiel prophesied a physical and spiritual resuscitation of Israel. That's Ezekiel 37. So having Israel as a nation now in its own land is important in light of end-time prophecy because of Israel's prominence in the future, what's going to take place, the future eschatology. Daniel chapter 10, Daniel chapter 11, Revelation chapter 11. While there's no biblical proof that these things mentioned above are prophecy fulfilled, we can see how many of these events really, Rick, uh, are similar to what the Bible describes. In any case, we are to be watching for prophecy fulfilled because Jesus told us that the day of the Lord, his return for his own, would come like a thief in the night, unexpected and unannounced. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Luke chapter 21, verse 36. Rick, We do this program so that we can help educate and edify the body of Christ. And focusing on these events, understanding Bible prophecy really helps us to be good students of the word, to learn to live uh, expecting the rapture to take place at any moment. And that really helps us to live a pure and productive life, doesn't it? It certainly does, Jimmy. And that is our focus of the program. That is our focus for ourselves and for our listeners. Yes. Folks, uh, with the things that we heard today from Ken, from Dave, from Colonel Bob McGinnis, as we focused on them, we try to draw the connection to Scripture. As we focus on the events, we can't help but say that the rapture of the church could happen at any moment. Rick, I know that the Lord has a, a purpose for each and every single one of us. And You know, he's given us a responsibility. And at the beginning of the program today, I thank people for coming to and listening and trusting us as we help decipher the times in which we're living. Thanks for all the work that you do, Rick. Happy to do it, Jimmy, because I believe that this is so very important to the body of Christ. Yes. We started off our look at the book today talking about prophecies that need to be fulfilled. We're seeing events that are leading up to prophecies that will be fulfilled in the tribulation period. There's only one thing that needs to happen before the rapture of the church comes back. People need to come to the Lord as their Savior. Folks, everything that we've seen, we need to be busy about the Lord's work and prepare for the rapture to take place. Let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. 
Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee.